Folks, do you love movies? The good ones? Even the bad ones everyone told you not to like? It sounds like Super Yaki is the place for you. The team at Super Yaki loves movies so much that they've dedicated every waking moment of their life to bringing you top quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. From super soft t-shirts celebrating the 20th anniversary of the cinematic masterpiece Josie and the Pussycats, to comfy sweatshirts made for the brave members of the Movies by Yourself Club. They even have pins of some of your favorite directors like Sofia Coppola and Jordan Peele. Super Yaki joyously brings tangible love letters to movies and filmmakers that you can wear with pride. Plus, the team at Super Yaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks and ships with compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. As a special gift to you, listeners can save 10% on their order with code SUPERSKYTALKERS. All caps, no spaces, at checkout. If the spirit moves you, you can find them at superyaki.com. Let's watch more movies. Perhaps the clearest archetype for Obi-Wan Kenobi is the hermit. But what does that mean? In what ways does Obi-Wan fall into this archetype? And in which ways does he grow beyond? Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to episode two of our summer series, Knowing Kenobi. And this week, our theme is all about the hermit. So we're just on the heels of our Knowing Kenobi episode, The King of Swords. And in that episode, we talked about how we chose tarot cards that we thought were good starting points to talk about Obi-Wan Kenobi in terms of archetypal analysis. It was pretty clear when we looked at all of the types of tarot cards in front of us that we were going to choose the hermit for at least one of them. So I'm really thrilled to be able to talk about this one and hopefully we'll approach it from the less stereotypical way that one might approach the hermit um, or like what comes to mind right away when you think about that terminology. Yeah, I think that's kind of the great thing about using the tarot cards as a starting point, um, kind of these like big thematic ideas, is that there is the very uh, kind of obvious answer with the hermit and how that relates to Obi-Wan and is a very valid and true relationship between a term like the hermit and a character like Obi-Wan Kenobi. But uh, having this space to kind of dive a little bit deeper into some of other definitions that come through there and also just the, the natural trajectory of how our conversations tend to ramble <laughs> and meander through different uh, themes and ideas. I think it's a, a really good, uh, it's obviously a good card for Obi-Wan for all of those obvious reasons, but hopefully for some other unexpected ones too. For the actual, like a little behind the scenes, Charlotte and I actually just recorded the King of Swords episode a couple hours ago. So we're recording this um, kind of like in a batch for episodes <laughs> one and two. And honestly, that's just a product of like some big uh, life things coming up for both of us in the next couple of weeks. And it made sense to kind of record these together over a weekend. Um, so if anything major has happened <laughs> in the Kenobi world, <laughs> which like, is totally possible, you know, <laughs> it, it actually is. It actually is. Uh, that's why I want to say it. It's totally possible. And you're like, why haven't they talked about that? That's because we're talking to you from the past. <laughs> and we don't know it yet. 
Yeah, I that's a cool thing also about doing this series is that I know that there's so many moving pieces or like information that could possibly come out uh, from the Obi-Wan Kenobi series that will be coming out next year, which is another reason why we're happy to do this series. But, you know, when Caitlin and I sort of batch record episodes, and it's very rare that we do this, it's fun in the same way that it's fun to like marathon a Star Wars, you know, do a Star Wars marathon. Because your brain just fully becomes that. <laughs> it's yeah. like all you're thinking about. So all day today, I'm like, Obi-Wan this, Obi-Wan that. I'm watching Clone Wars. I'm cooking, but I'm also watching Clone Wars. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm reading, reading but I'm, I'm also like, watching Clone Wars. Clone I'm texting, Wars. but I'm also watching Clone, <laughs> Clone Wars. Wars. But like, that's exactly what's happening. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I was I was reading The Revenge of the Sith novelization and like all but these things. But I was also watching we'll Clone Wars. Sorry. But I was also watching Clone Wars at the same time. So... Maybe that's how I should live my life all the time is just also watching Clone Wars. So anyway, <laughs> why don't we dive into this, Caitlin, <laughs> and kind of keep, keep in this Obi-Wan headspace. <laughs> all right. Well, part one is going to be defining the hermit. In part two, we're going to be talking about Obi-Wan as the guide. And in part three, we're going to be talking about Obi-Wan as introspective. Without further ado, let's get started. I sense a trap. Next move, spring the trap. Welcome to part one, where we are defining the hermit. And if you listened to our last episode, The King of Swords, you'll know that kind of in the first part of each of these episodes, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the symbolism and narratives that can be found within the specific tarot card that we've selected for this episode. And also as a reminder, we are not experts at this. Charlotte and I do not read tarot. Um, that is not our wheelhouse at all. This is very, like we said, a starting point for uh, a way to talk about Obi-Wan Kenobi. But on our website, we will have more sources that we use if you want to dive a little bit further into some of the uh, symbolism found within each of these cards. So definitely go and check that out if you're interested. But uh, like I said, this episode is all about Obi-Wan as the hermit. And uh, according to A.E. Waits, Pictorial Key to the Tarot, the hermit card carries several divinatory associations. And this is kind of uh, some words associated with the hermit, which are prudence, circumspection, also and especially treason, dissimulation, roguery, corruption. And if you get the card reversed, it can mean concealment, disguise, policy fear, unreasoned caution. And then there's also this quote about the Hermit card. The Hermit card depicts an old man standing alone at the peak of the mountain while holding a lantern in one of his hands and a staff in the other. The mountain denotes accomplishment, development, and success. The Hermit Tarot card refers to the level of spiritual knowledge that he attained and that he is ready to impart that knowledge to everyone. There is also a deep commitment he has to his goal and a solid awareness of the path that he is taking. Inside the lantern, you will notice a star with six points, which is also known as the Seal of Solomon. This symbol represents wisdom. The staff that he holds depicts authority and power. And then this last kind of little bit about the card says, The hermit is a seeker for the knowledge that comes from within. A lonely wanderer in the path of the night, he searches for that which can be gained only through long periods of solitude, the inner voice. To hear it, he must disconnect from the crowds whose voices and desires threaten to overcome his own. He walks through the dark night of his unconscious, guided only by the low light of the northern star, with his destination being his home, his self. And 
This, I feel like this card actually, although it feels the most uh, on the nose for Obi-Wan compared to the King of Swords and our episode three card, some of this I'm like, I don't know if I necessarily think all of this is as descriptive for Obi-Wan as some of the words like in the King of Swords. But there's also some really interesting tidbits that I think... I would not have picked to describe Obi-Wan initially. Like I wouldn't have thought of it on my own, but reading it here, I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. oh, Obi-Wan, <laughs> I see you in this. I had the same reaction. And one of the things that really struck me when you were reading it was the hermit depicts an old man standing alone at the peak of the mountain while holding a lantern in one of his hands and a staff in the other. I think that's there's a lot of ways to actually think about how Obi-Wan has embodied that image obviously through different like pastoral means than what is what is seen on the card but you can think about the peak of the mountain as obi-wan literally taking the high ground in revenge of the sith yeah you can think about how his hut is on the top of a cliff in tatooine and you can think about the lantern in the hands and the staff as kind of the same thing if you want to think about the lightsaber as something. And not only that, if you think about the lantern in one and the staff in the other, a, like a, a lantern, especially in Revenge of the Sith, when he has the high ground, he holds his own lightsaber, but then picks up Anakin's as he leaves too. So he has two staffs, both that both you can call them a staff and a lantern. Um, I don't know. I feel like you can really make a connection here that isn't surface level, but you can you can read into it, you know, and the mountain denotes accomplishment, development and success. I think that it's hard to argue that Obi-Wan had success there on Mustafar, but uh, and if, from a certain point of view, I guess you could say that, you know, he did have the high ground. He did disarm his opponent, someone who was on the dark side, and he was able to communicate with him how much that person meant to him. I thought that, you know, when we were talking about the mountain, I actually thought about the mountain as representative of Obi-Wan's relationship to the Force and eventually his ability to become a Force ghost. And that accomplishment there is, that was my interpretation of the mountain or I guess a interpretation of the mountain. But I like how yours is kind of like, it's both literal, but also like he's literally on the high ground, (laughs) but also uh, like a bit more interpretive and symbolic of the narrative of like what is happening there. But I think both uh, like the high ground version of the mountain and then also the like the force uh, version of the mountain, there's a pretty arduous journey that leads to both of those peaks, to those summits. Right. And both are met with a lot of hardship and tragedy. And I guess you could say that the, you know, the Revenge of the Sith Mountain, that's just one peak in this mountain range (laughs) that Obi-Wan is embarking on. You know, last episode, our metaphor was the keys. (laughs) And this week, I think it's going to be the mountain. (laughs) But one of the words that I actually wanted to talk about was in the initial description of the Hermit, and it was the very last descriptor, which was unreasoned caution. And I thought this was such an interesting like combination of words. I don't really think I've ever put those two words together, unreasoned caution. And it made me think a lot about Obi-Wan and kind of his, um, it's kind of hard to describe it, but his approach to someone like Anakin and how he's training Anakin and how he has a lot of, not hesitance, but... 
he's always like, oh, well, Anakin does things his own way. And maybe we shouldn't do things that way. Or this is the right way to do things. And I feel like he, you know, Anakin has that moment in Attack the Clones where he on Tatooine where he accuses Obi-Wan of holding him back. And I think that almost kind of feeds into that term of like unreasoned caution. And I think also unreasoned caution kind of can speak to the Jedi as a whole too. And I almost want to swap the word unreason for like unknown caution. Like they're all kind of tiptoeing around something, but they don't really know what it is and it's the dark side and then you that's like kind of large scale and then you have small scale of obi-wan and anakin and this kind of like is he the chosen one is he not we know that that's something that obi-wan has kind of thought a lot about throughout their time together not that it meant that he cared for anakin any less but it was still this question of like who is he like is he really the chosen one is he really not we know that he has um darker sides to him and it's something that we're always like as his master i'm kind of keeping tabs on but i don't really know what to do with it i don't know i thought it was a really interesting word and i feel like i'm not making a ton of sense without <laughs> explaining this but for some reason unreasoned caution kind of stuck out to me it's a cool set of two words i yeah. also think that concealment obviously like bells go off in our head for that we've we've done an episode on concealment before for and how it's a huge issue in Star Wars if only people talk to each other. And Obi-Wan is someone that I think struggles with that concealment, you know, and yeah. that inability to ex express everything. Uh, not that he needs to in some points, but uh, Anakin needs that from him in a lot of ways. So that becomes a, a stress point i think i liked the the line in this that says there's also a deep commitment he has to his goal and a solid awareness of the path that he's taking i think at the end of revenge of the sith uh, obi-wan's path is super clear and he has a you know a 20 year deep commitment to protecting luke on tatooine and or doing that in any way that he possibly can you know i also liked the concept that go that comes next that quote afterwards that says the hermit is a seeker for knowledge that comes from within a lonely wanderer in the path of the night he searches for that which can only be gained with long periods of solitude the inner voice i think when you think about that mention that yoda has to obi-wan about qui-gon returning from the netherworld of the force i think that's the inner voice um and how can Obi-Wan kind of get attuned to that and also commune with the cosmic force. And that's only possible through the long periods of solitude that he has on the mountain, aka his hut. So the concept of um, he to hear it, he must disconnect from the crowds whose voices and desired, desires threaten to overcome his own. That's a little like weaker for me for Obi-Wan because I'm not positive what his desire is besides to protect Luke or help the galaxy, I suppose. But he walks through the dark night of his unconscious, guided only by the low light of the northern star, with his destination being his home, his self. I think that's going to be the theme of the Obi-Wan Kenobi show. At least that's like my dream, <laughs> is this concept of him walking through the dark night of his, of his unconscious, at least in some respect. I think we know that the show is going to be pretty plot heavy just from like what we've heard about it and everything. And that's fine. I just think that there's going to be a part of it that will explore Obi-Wan's desires and wants and what it means for him to be exiled, you know? Yeah. What's interesting about this is like he must disconnect from the crowds, but in a way it was a forcible disconnect with the fall of the Republic. All of the Jedi are gone. Anakin is gone. The many, like the clone army is gone. 
you know, all of these things that were around him, these crowds that were around him were kind of in one fell swoop taken from him. Absolutely. I also want to move on to like beyond the card and more to the hermit archetype, which is explored so often in fiction and in fairy tales. And I think it's something that George was very aware of. We talked about that in our last episode with Castaneda and uh, even Campbell, right? So if we think about the hermit as a general archetype, um, the hermit is associated with wisdom, introspection, creativity, the connection to nature, silence, self-knowledge, and guidance. And I think that our first reaction to the tarot card was like, I don't know if this actually fits in with Obi-Wan, even though it does, you know? <laughs> and I think that there's different types of hermits uh, in fiction, and I think that's something worth exploring. I don't think that in, in archetypes, there's been a definition of like the shadow hermit, and that's someone who is unwilling to face external challenges and is seduced by the pleasures of the cave. So someone who kind of really runs away from a problem. I don't necessarily think that's Obi-Wan. I think yeah. that Obi-Wan is more someone who is what they call the quote-unquote enlightened hermit. And that's someone who is more drawn to knowledge and wisdom. The wise old hermit is often seen in fables and myth and guides the way and guides the wayward and the lost to safety again. Sometimes they offer wisdom and guidance for the wary traveler, but they must first transcend the trappings of their own thoughts and dogma to achieve true wisdom. The enlightened hermit understands that they need to be separate from others in the world to find their way. Once they have found their own way, they can walk in the world and be a light and a source for, of strength for others. I think that is so true about Obi-Wan, to be honest. Like, I think there's ways that you can think around that and think that maybe it just doesn't fit in perfectly. And that's just because Star Wars is going to do its own thing. But <laughs> um, I think it's true that from a certain point of view, in order for Obi-Wan to help Luke in the way that Luke needs him, he does need to be separate from others and to find his own way. And then hopefully help Luke guide him into success. The next part of the Enlightened Hermit is introspection. The Enlightened Hermit has the ability to ask useful internal questions. They do not shy away from the deep thought or ideas that challenge their beliefs. They need this kind of stimulation to encourage the growth that will help them fulfill their potential. There's a strong need from time to time to be able to withdraw in order to gather oneself together and return refreshed and renewed and participate in life more fully. My response to that is Obi-Wan needs to go into this sort of exile for a lot of reasons, but one of the main reasons is so that he can disappear into the netherworld of the Force when he fights Vader in A, a New Hope. And that's the way that he is able to appear refreshed and renewed in life more fully and be able to help Anakin's son, Luke, uh, achieve his goals and be that sort of father figure for him in that moment. And that father figure that Luke so desperately craves, right? And that's why I think Luke feels such a sadness when Obi-Wan dies um, in A New Hope and he disappears. But of course, he's not without him forever. Obi-Wan appears as a voice and then also as a ghost later. Yeah, I think there's something so interesting about the hermit in how it compares to Obi-Wan because Obi-Wan, like when I when you're reading about the hermit, it's like someone who has to fully commit to the path that they're on, the path of knowledge, the path of self uh, introspection and wisdom and enlightenment, right? And I think we always think of Obi-Wan like just living his hermit life, you know, after Revenge of the Sith, like that's his period of hermitage. <laughs> but Obi-Wan has always been that committed to the path of the Jedi, to the path of the Force. That's kind of always been his 
like the mountain that he's been climbing. I think he's been climbing it for a really long time. And he, there was of course a lot going on during that time. So, and, and he was, you know, younger, he's growing all of, like all of that is character development, right? Like with the King of Swords, when we were talking about that, like Obi-Wan has always been very, like he knows where his keys are. He knows what he's doing. He knows uh, what he stands for and his morals and everything like that. And it's like when he, uh, after the events of Revenge of the Sith, it was suddenly this kind of more abstract path that opened up in the form of like understanding the Force to a greater degree, but also this very kind of singular purpose with protecting Luke. And we'll talk about that later uh, because obviously that that's the time period that the Kenobi show is going to be in. So a lot of question marks there. But I think it's interesting because when I think about someone becoming a hermit, it's almost like a change in their life. And while, yes, Obi-Wan did experience a very drastic physical change in his environment and like where his life was being lived, the dedication, the purpose has always been the same. And that's been in service of the Force. Yeah, I think that's true. I think the definition of service of the Force is an interesting one because I think for so many, including myself, I think that Obi-Wan is so devoted to the Jedi. And I think those two things are separate. And I'm not really sure what to make of that sentence, to be honest. But I think for me, at the end of Revenge of the Sith, when everything seems so drastic, I think Obi-Wan is perhaps more devoted to the Force than he is the, the Jedi because there's not very many left, right? But that doesn't mean he's like leaving them and casting them aside. That's not what happened at all. But I do think that he decides to devote most of his time to his relationship with the Force, and perhaps now it is a lot less uncl- like less clouded than it was in during the Clone Wars, which is the ever frequently <laughs> mentioned thing about how the dark side clouds everything in the Clone Wars. So it makes you wonder if, because I, I I totally agree with you about Obi Wan being dedicated to the Jedi and the Jedi and the Force are separate. But it makes you wonder if Obi-Wan actually, like, does Obi-Wan believe that? Does he think that, that the Force and the Jedi Mm -hmm. are separate? Mm -hmm. Um, That's a good question. Maybe not, you know? I don't Uh, think it is. <laughs> because the first we'll, reaction is no. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll talk about this later, like uh in the other parts, but like did Obi-Wan did he like reach full enlightenment? Did he? Maybe not. Maybe he did. I don't know. We're gonna talk about it. But yeah, I think that's a really good point you brought up. And to that I would just say, does does Obi-Wan think that the Jedi and the Force are different or are separate? Yeah. You know, I think that Obi-Wan is very clearly part of the hermit archetype. Like we talked about last time when George wrote him as like basically the the hermit on the side of the road, the old wizard, the the like kind of Tolkien mentality, sort of Gandalfy kind of vibe. I I think that that's all very true, but it's interesting when you kind of pick it apart and see all the different ways that because we've known Obi-Wan Kenobi for a long part of his life in Star Wars, which is like one of those just really cool things about Star Wars is that you can really start a character from the beginning and see how they end in so many different formats, right? And you can learn so many different things about them. But when you pick apart the the archetype, you see that Obi-Wan has kind of grown beyond the hermit archetype, but also in a way retains the essence of the created character that George made in 1975, you know, and I think that's really cool. Yeah, I agree. I think that's, that's one of the great things about Star Wars and it's just the longevity of a character and getting to see so many different iterations. 
and how they can go in and out of these archetypes, honestly, depending on when we find them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's also uh, speaks to what George Lucas was trying to do with his movies, too, is to uh, tap into the unconscious of the audience of us recognizing these sort of archetypes and then also playing with them and, you know, playing with our expectations. And I think that's even more modern in this whole idea of playing with the archetypal expectation. And but I still think that was being done back then, this sort of mixing of myths and everything. And I think that's exactly what was happening with Obi-Wan. Yeah. Should we move on to talk about Obi-Wan as the guide? Yes. Remember, the Force will be with you always. Okay, so welcome to part two where we're going to be talking about Obi-Wan as the guide. So Obi-Wan serves as a guide for a lot of different characters, but obviously the first two that come to mind are Anakin and Luke. And when we define guide, I think we're we're pulling from the the hermit archetype the and the tarot card themselves in this like concept of you know someone with a staff on a mountain looking towards the north star and how does that work so why don't we go through some of the ways that obi-wan is a guide uh so let's start with anakin because that's the first one right um obi-wan is a guide and a mentor and a father figure i think anakin refers to him as a father figure and then later obi-wan refers to him as a brother figure and it's all very confusing. This is like the fourth time I mentioned that. <laughs> but I think it's worth mentioning because I think their relationship is, it can be both, but um, one thinks of the other differently than the other thinks of them. And I think that that relationship evolved a little bit more when Anakin got older, but um, I still think it's interesting and worth noting. But Anakin was definitely a mentor to Anakin, even though, um, I mean, Obi-Wan was definitely a ma- mentor towards Anakin, um, even though Anakin was you know, frustrated with Obi-Wan in a lot of ways. And I also think that frustration kind of goes both ways, which is one of the most interesting things about Obi-Wan's character is that Obi-Wan is never really meant to train Anakin. It was always going to be Qui-Gon and then tragedy struck and then Obi-Wan is saddled with Anakin. And there's sort of this idea that maybe Anakin would have been better off if Qui-Gon was his mentor instead of Obi-Wan. And what is the difference there? I don't know. Yeah, I think that scene that scene at the end of the Phantom Menace has kind of, I keep thinking about it when we talk about, when we've been talking about Obi-Wan the past couple of weeks. And it's, it's so like that scene has such like an aura about it that uh, at Qui-Gon Jinn's funeral with the way that the light plays on Obi-Wan's face with like his hood all the way up. And then you have like tiny Anakin next to him. And it's this, you know, I met with the council, I will train you kind of thing. And there's such like a, the energy in it is so it's so foreboding because it it's meant to be right but it's also like the beginning of this relationship and that you know is going to end in tragedy and within the phantom menace right you don't exactly know but you know a new hope and what that's going to mean like in that moment he is this father figure but he also looks the part of a hermit and a guide i think like with the hood and like the firelight and it just (laughs) it feels very fantasy i would say and like very fairy tale in that moment of like yes i'll take you like take my hand here we go Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh kind of thing and i think you kind of get that same feeling with luke but obviously there's like the energy of obi-wan is very different in that moment compared to like with luke compared to anakin and i think if i had like if i had to describe obi-wan's sense in both of those moments 
the moment with Anakin in The Phantom Menace is almost one of burden. Uh, and we've talked about that and probably will talk about that uh, here today. Uh, whereas the one with Luke, there's more of this hopefulness to Obi-Wan and him like saying, take my hand, Luke, I'll like, let's go. Um, and I think that's so interesting. And it really just kind of speaks to the journey that Obi-Wan went on between meeting Anakin for the first time and meeting Luke for the first time or, or like agreeing to be their masters, respectively, if we can make that comparison to each of those scenes. Uh, because there is that, like, you know that Obi-Wan didn't think Anakin should be in the Jedi Order. And then losing his master, like, there's that burden, there's that guilt of feeling like he made a promise to Qui-Gon and he's going to see it through because that's who he is, the King of Swords, bound to duty. Uh, and then that duty, Anakin Skywalker, becomes like a much bigger handful. <laughs> um, and that's Poor kind of putting it lightly, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think, yeah, you know, I think that scene in Phantom Menace is one of burden and the one in A New Hope where he takes on that role as Luke's guide is one of hopefulness because, uh, you know, with the message from Leia, with Luke being so um, – like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed <laughs> about like wanting to know about his father and and leave Tatooine and all of these things. I think there's this uh, energy there that is more hopeful and thinking like this could be it. Uh, like this is what I've been waiting for all this time. And we'll get into later like what does that mean exactly for Obi-Wan and like the things that he wants from Luke too and like the motivations there. But I think it's really interesting comparing kind of the, I don't want to, they're not exactly like meat cutes, but those like kind of uh, pinnacle scenes for Obi-Wan as the guide to Anakin and Obi-Wan as the guide to Luke. One of the things I was just thinking about with you talking about the Phantom Menace is this concept of, okay, so if Obi-Wan was never meant to train Anakin, how can he possibly train this boy that he didn't even meet himself? He's basically just going off the word of Qui-Gon. And the whole concept of Obi-Wan actually not being there when Anakin was discovered with Qui-Gon and he wasn't there when he witnessed the the boy and his like ultimate kindness, you know, Obi-Wan didn't meet Anakin until like an hour in the film, you know, yeah. and it's, it's interesting to consider how we can go back to this concept of concealed emotions and perhaps Obi-Wan wasn't like the best father figure for Anakin and uh or like i don't know it, this it feels like disingenuous to say that because i just think that i think obi-wan tried his best but at the end of the day like he didn't witness anakin as a as a slave he didn't witness anakin's own pain and he didn't witness anakin's speciality right and i think that it it's interesting so when you talk about like that moment being one of burden i think it's also one of confusion of one that's like <laughs> okay, now I have to do that. Like I made a dying promise to my master, but it, I also don't really know anything about this boy. I have to just go off the trust of my master. And for so long, I think Obi-Wan is trying to find that definition of what what Qui-Gon saw in Anakin in terms of being the chosen one and the midi-chlorian count being off the charts and all these things. I mean, he was going off of data, but for Obi-Wan, what was it about the boy? And I think I mean, this is not to say that I don't think Obi-Wan recognizes why Anakin is special. I think he does. He just wasn't there to witness it in the beginning. So for him, it wasn't a journey of discovery in the same way it was for Qui-Gon, but instead it was a 
this journey of discovery is actually really long because that concept of the chosen one gets redefined and redefined and redefined for Obi-Wan to the point where in Twin Sons and Rebels, he thinks that Luke is the chosen one. And we've debated that back and forth. And that's what's so good about this is that it really is so interesting for people to debate that um, because you can argue it both ways. But I think that's a journey for Obi-Wan to make as well when Qui-Gon was really clear that he thought Anakin was the chosen one. So if Qui-Gon trained Anakin, would things be different? Probably. And I think there's just this strain of lack of communication and lack of understanding between these two just because of lack of experience. Yeah. And I think the other important thing to remember is that Obi-Wan agreeing to take Anakin on is it's wrapped up in like the biggest tragedy that Obi-Wan has experienced thus far in his life with losing Qui-Gon. Not only losing Qui-Gon, but losing Qui-Gon right in front of him and like holding him in his dying arms. Like all of Mm -hmm. that. And Obi-Wan is what? He's not very old in that. No, he's the same age as Anakin. He's like 19, I think. I'm pretty sure that's the whole vibe. Yeah. And it's just, it. that's a lot to take on and to go through all at once. And uh, then there's also the the whole Jedi side of it too, of knowing that everyone, like the Jedi Council themselves is very hesitant about Anakin, but Obi-Wan goes out on a limb in honor of Qui-Gon's memory. And that's kind of like the only reason Anakin got in too, is because of this tragedy that happened. And all of that is is wrapped up in Obi-Wan, like the beginning of Obi-Wan's relationship, like to your point of Obi-Wan wasn't there to really experience Anakin's life on Tatooine. Although we do know that later on in the Clone Wars, like it's clear that it's, that Anakin has shared some of it with Obi-Wan because in the whole Zygerian arc, Obi-Wan is the one that tells Ahsoka uh, about Anakin's past and like how hard it was, how not how hard, how horrible it was for Anakin growing up as a slave. Yeah. I just think that the relationship between Obi-Wan and Anakin is just endlessly complicated. And I feel like you can trace it all the way back to that beginning. And you wonder how things could have been different if maybe Obi-Wan was there or something. You never know. And I think someone who was so by the books, there was a reason why Obi-Wan wasn't there. But at the same time, that lack of, like I said, lack of experience follows them all the way through the rest of his life, you know? And I think that there's so much that Obi-Wan probably reflects on about how he can be a better mentor for Luke than he was for Anakin. This is me giving Obi-Wan a lot of credit here because I still think it's pretty wrong of Obi-Wan and Yoda to ask Luke to kill Darth Vader. And I kind of think about, I, I don't know, I think about that a lot. Um, and I still am not 100% sure how to reconcile with that. But I I do hope, I guess I just have hope that Obi-Wan was thinking about how to approach Luke from like how he needed him versus how, I don't know, I don't think that he did that exactly with Anakin, at least to not a huge success. It is kind of similar to our conversations about Yoda when we talk about Obi-Wan in this original trilogy period. Like I mentioned in the last episode that the like most heartbreaking moment for me is when Anakin or when Yoda asks Obi-Wan to kill Anakin. And like how incredibly heartbreaking that is. And then we see Obi-Wan ask the same thing of Luke later on in in Empire Strikes Back. And it's without them telling Luke the truth of who Vader is. And I just think like you're right. It's kind of hard to reconcile that much in the same way that it was hard to reconcile Luke's choices with Ben 
uh, Solo in The Last Jedi. Like these are, th and this is like the good part of Star Wars is that these are like very uh, flawed characters, <laughs> even yeah. as we call them heroes and quote unquote good people. And these decisions that they make are really interesting and really confounding and disappointing in a lot of ways too, because you would think that after that experience that Obi-Wan had, he he would not want to ask the same thing. But there's like this whole period of Obi-Wan's life that we haven't seen yet and and will see and um, what his time with Yoda and Qui-Gon and the Force and his own doubts and insecurities tell him about what he should uh, guide Luke to do uh, when they do meet in A New Hope and an Empire Strikes Back. There's so many things and choices and decisions that go into, you know, how Obi-Wan decides what Obi-Wan thinks is the best thing to do for Luke and the galaxy, too. I think Obi-Wan is always kind of thinking about the greater galaxy, too, which is not wrong. Um, it's just it's, it's – it's difficult to be like, why would you do that? Like, you couldn't kill Anakin, and now you're asking his son to do that? And and also concealing, trying to conceal from Luke that Vader was his father. Like, imagine if Luke never found that out and found out after. I mean, that was kind of the way that they were going. And yeah. I, I think that's messed up. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty messed up. And I, you're right. Like, that's one of the great things about Star Wars is that we have these flawed heroes and ones that I think make really good choices, the ones that you think are, like, the best Jedi. And I still – I think that about Obi-Wan, but I yeah. still am confounded by these choices. And that's fine. That's okay. Um, but what I was saying before about, like, I hope that Obi-Wan kind of learned from training Anakin and, like, I guess you could argue that maybe he didn't, but I also think he did. I don't know. <laughs> hard <laughs> i feel like perhaps it can be hard for obi-wan to have deep relationships with people yeah because when we and this is kind of the next part of our notes is talking about obi-wan as a guide for like lost jedi after the purge after order 66 um and how he 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 does become like a North Star for other people, for other Jedi in the galaxy, uh, people including Ezra and Kenan and perhaps even Ahsoka at some point in, you know, in what's to come in the future. And the fact that it's him who has to put out the message at the end of Order 66 about, and they show it in Rebels, of not to come back to the Jedi Temple. And he says that like the time of the Jedi has passed, but there is going to be he says, like, you'll be tested in your friendships and relationships and, and everything like that, um, and that he has hope for the future for the Jedi. But right now, the time of the Jedi has passed, which I think is such, like, a somber thing to put out there. But the fact that it's Obi-Wan that puts out that message and not Yoda, who's, like, the head honcho of the Jedi Council, I think it says a lot to just how um, one public-facing Obi-Wan was during – the Clone Wars, and, and that he has a reputation within the Jedi themselves as a member of the Council, as trustworthy, as someone to listen to and follow. And I think that that message was both very sad and heartbreaking, but also comforting in a way. And the things that he does tell Luke and the things that he does tell Ezra in the Twin Sons episode, it's like I find myself so on board with those messages like when he's talking to Ezra and he 
Ezra is like, I knew to come here. Like the holocron showed me the truth of what I needed to do here. And Obi-Wan says something along the lines of like, the truth is what you make it, you know, like from a certain point of view. And I think that's totally true. And like, that Mm -hmm. feels very much like a guide. And that's a good thing to impart to Ezra as a young uh, Padawan Jedi in training, you know, but it's when Obi-Wan gets into these like one-on-one relationships that it's difficult, I think, for him to Uh, go deeper, honestly, with these people, uh, because it means having to wrestle with, yes, their dark side, but also like his own uh, kind of darker wants. I don't even want to say darker wants, but like things that aren't in line with the Jedi. And we can see a lot of that with his relationship to Satine. But even like the sense of not really ever wanting to confront Anakin and Padme about what I think he yeah. probably knows is going on or at least suspects, but he's like, he's not even going to open that door. Like he, he doesn't even want to look in that direction because he doesn't want to deal with it because it would be too hard for him emotionally, I think. And so much of, so much of that happens with Obi-Wan. Like yeah. when he didn't want to look at the security holograms, like he just doesn't want to face it and he doesn't know how he will react when he faces things. And yeah. you're so right about the Anakin and Padme stuff. I mean, even comparing Obi-Wan's relationship to Satine, which is introduced in the Clone Wars and realizing that they have a really like storied past of a year that they spent together on a mission that clearly was romantic. And the episode is is so good that it's an arc and the first one that um one of the first ones i think has anakin in it and anakin is sort of a a witness to a bunch of kind of goofy moments about like here's obi-wan with a relationship and anakin's over here like very much in a relationship (laughs) and married and he's kind of like okay obi-wan you did that and (laughs) i I don't know. I think that it's it's interesting, though, because uh, even throughout that, it's something that Obi-Wan like is coerced into talking about from Satine. It's never Obi-Wan who says something first. And that goes back to him, like just maybe perhaps not being good about, you know, these one on one relationships. You know, the the whole reveal of Satine in the Clone Wars was just really kind of shocking, honestly, (laughs) (laughs) to think that Obi-Wan would have even considered a dalliance with someone else. And also, I just got to say that this sounds like kind of the best uh, book that hasn't been written yet. Claudia Gray. Claudia Gray. The year that Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon spent on Mandalore, like, I forget what they're doing. They're like protecting the Duchess at the time or whatever. And him and Satine get close. Like, I would like to see that book. Whatever it is, you know, I'm sure it's very juicy. I'm sure there's some stuff happening in like dark corridors in the castle, like (laughs) the palace, whatever it is on Mandalore. Anyway, um, but yeah, he like the fact that Anakin knows nothing about Satine, um, even though Obi-Wan knows even in Attack of the Clones that Anakin has struggled with like personal feelings for Padme, like before it like got so out of hand to the point that they got married. And that could have been a moment for him to be like, hey, look, like there was someone that I had really strong strong feelings for, too, when I was your age. And, you know, here's why I didn't pursue it or it didn't go anywhere. Like, I understand what you're going through right now. 
but he didn't. He just said, relax <laughs> and uh, don't let your feelings cloud your judgment kind of thing. And he even says that to Satine too, um, that uh, he can't let his feeling or he doesn't, sorry, he doesn't say that to Satine. He says that um, when Bo-Katan brings up uh, in season seven that uh, his, her sister died and uh, for Mandalore and doesn't that mean anything to Obi-Wan? Uh, it's like so mean. It's such a mm-hmm. harsh cut. Uh, and Obi-Wan says, yeah, it does. And like Satine still means something to me, but I can't allow my feelings to cloud my judgment. And that's kind of how he lives his life, I think. But to a certain amount of detriment too uh, in his ability to uh, become really close to the people that matter the most to him out of like genuine love for them. I think the question that we're kind of dancing around here is ultimately, is Obi-Wan a good guide for people? I want to answer this with a yes. I really want to read this part of the Revenge of the Sith novelization that is the last time Obi-Wan and Anakin talk to each other um, when they're both on equal footing. Okay, so basically Anakin is worried about Obi-Wan leaving to go to Utapau without him and laments that Kenobi and Skywalker won't be together for like ending the war. And here's Obi-Wan. Anakin. Anakin could hear a gentle smile in Obi-Wan's voice. Don't worry. I have enough clones to take down three systems the size of Utapau's. I believe I should be able to handle the situation even without your help. Anakin had to answer had had to answer his smile. Well, there's always the first time. Obi-Wan said, we're not really splitting up, Anakin. We've worked on our own many times, like when you were, when you took Padme to Naboo while I was on Kamino and Geonosis. And look how that turned out. All right, bad example, Obi-Wan admitted, his smile shading towards Rufal. Yet years later, here we are, still alive, still friends. My point, Anakin, is that even when we work separately, we work together. We have the same goals, end the war, and save the Republic from the Sith. As long as we're on the same side, everything will come out well in the end. I'm certain of it. Well, Anakin sighed. I suppose you could be right. You are once in a while, occasionally. Obi-Wan chuckled and clapped him on the shoulder. Farewell, old friend. Master, wait. Anakin turned to face him fully. He couldn't just stand there and let him walk away. Not now. He had to say something. He had a sinking feeling he might not get another chance. Master, he said hesitantly. I know I've disappointed you in the past few days. I've been arrogant, and I have not been very appreciative of your training, and what's worse, of your friendship. I offer no excuse, Master. My frustration with the Council, I know none of that is your fault, and I apologize for all of it. Your friendship means everything to me. Obi-Wan gripped Anakin's mechanical hand. With his other, he squeezed Anakin's arm above joining the flesh and metal. You're a wise and strong, Anakin. You are a credit to the Jedi Order, and you have far surpassed my humble efforts at instruction. Anakin felt his own smile turned melancholy. Just the other day, you were saying that my power is no credit to me. I'm not speaking of your power, Anakin, but of your heart. The The greatness in you is a greatness of spirit, courage and generosity, compassion and commitment. These are your virtues, Obi-Wan said gently. You have done great things, and I am very proud of you. Anakin found he had nothing to say. So I really wanted to read that because I think in our conversation about how potentially Obi-Wan doesn't know how to to kind of like let his emotions rise to the surface, I think what Anakin really needed to hear that in that moment, except it didn't really change that much about what happened next. And Obi-Wan is absolutely right that as long as they were on the same page, 
um, they will accomplish their goals. But the fact of the matter is, is that Anakin was not on the same page as Obi-Wan in those goals that he was mentioning. Anakin's own goals were personal um, and related to Padme, and Anakin would not bring those up to Obi-Wan. Here is a moment of Obi-Wan expressing himself about how proud he is of Anakin. And Anakin apologizing, and they have a really, that, that, that's a really good talk, and it's a really good moment here. But if we're talking about, like, is Obi-Wan a good guide for Anakin and Luke, in this moment, Anakin wasn't really forthcoming about his own goals. You know, he apologized about uh, how he's been arrogant, but hasn't really put on the def, like, as to why he was feeling that way besides the council. I don't know. I, f- I find that exchange so sad and emotional and extremely good. I love it so much. Um, but I think that was a really good moment for them. And unfortunately, it's so tragic. You know, what did you think of that moment, Caitlin? Oh, it's sad. Um, <laughs> I think that this is kind of one of the more open moments between them that we really see. And the thing is, I think that Anakin in this moment is really open about like where his flaws are in compare not in comparison to Obi-Wan but um he knows he knows how Obi-Wan trained him he knows what Obi-Wan's values are in a Jedi and Anakin knows where he kind of doesn't meet those expectations in a way if I can phrase it like that like Anakin's part of the conversation feels more specific and like intuitive to how he knows Obi-Wan, whereas Obi-Wan's conversation is like about Anakin, obviously, but it still feels like very broad based. It's almost like a don't worry, everything is going to be okay. And I don't mean that to like belittle the conversation because I think it's a really, really good conversation, but it's almost like Obi-Wan could have dug a little deeper too in that moment of talking about like what specifically he loves about Anakin or something like that. You know, Um, I think that Obi-Wan wants to just make Anakin feel better, which is not a bad thing. Right. And so he tells him this, uh, this truth that I I think that Obi-Wan genuinely believes of like, you're a credit to the Jedi order and um, you're, you're like the best at what you do and you're strong and courageous. Like Obi-Wan genuinely believes all of those things, but he could talk more specifically about Anakin because the fact of the matter is, is that there's a reason that Anakin doesn't go to Obi-Wan about what happened with Padme. And I think that that's not something that like gets talked enough about in all of this. Like we can talk for hours about how close Anakin and Obi-Wan are and they are really close and they obviously mean a lot to each other. But ultimately there's a reason that Anakin doesn't go to Obi-Wan when he does go to Yoda <laughs> of all people, you know? And I think that that is kind of, uh, when we're talking about Obi-Wan as a good guide, it's not, the question is not, is Obi-Wan a good person or is Obi-Wan a good Jedi? It's, is Obi-Wan a good guide? And mm-hmm. I think that like with all those other questions, there are shades to that. And I think that a shade to the Obi-Wan as a good guide for Anakin is that Anakin doesn't feel like he can trust Obi-Wan with this, like this really heavy thing for mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. And why is that? I don't think, I think Anakin kind of talks about it, but not really. There's still a lot there that I think we don't know. Yeah. I want to say that I was being sneaky by reading this quote because <laughs> I knew that it would incite a debate because I think that's exactly what the scene is supposed to do. You're like, oh, they're such good friends. And then you're supposed to be like, but wait, there's a distrust here. Why is this happening? They can talk openly about what is happening with 
the council, but what about the rest that's under the surface? Because honestly, that's what matters here. It has, yes, the council is an oppressive force, and like that's a big part of why Anakin turns to the dark side is because he is in like one foot out, out the door, one foot in the door of being on the council. But it really is the fact that Anakin has a personal problem and that personal problem is his dreams that he doesn't feel like he can go to Obi-Wan about because Obi-Wan for some reason he doesn't think that Obi-Wan can help him and I honestly think that always goes back to how Anakin felt about his mother and how Anakin was persistent in talking about his dreams with Obi-Wan in Attack the Clones and before Attack the Clones Obi-Wan had a knowledge of that in Attack of the Clones we learned that when Obi-Wan is talking to Anakin and they're outside of Padme's room when she's sleeping. And it's clear that this is something that is Anakin is constantly bringing up. But in the end, Anakin's mother dies because he's too late and he didn't get, get a chance to save her before then. And so I think that he's Anakin has lost hope in talking to Obi-Wan about that and lost trust there that that whatever that trust is and whatever that trust is representative of it's there's this there's this feeling that Anakin can't trust Obi-Wan with the biggest thing in his life his relationship to Padme and this dream that is plaguing him and driving him to basically near insanity right and the fact that he can't do that is a detriment to their relationship so I just want to reiterate that I brought up that quote because I thought it would be a good like <laughs> debate point because on the surface it's really good but also it's there's a lot missing from it. Yeah. And there's also just to add into the conversation, there's the the whole part in Revenge of the Sith where Padme is like, well, we can go to Obi-Wan. Like we can trust him. Mm-hmm. And Anakin says no. Oh, he says, I don't want to hear any more about Obi-Wan. Yeah, specifically, Later, he says too. that. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I don't want to so hear any more about Obi-Wan. And it. obviously there's like an undertone of jealousy there. And in the book, in the Revenge of the Sith book, I was just reading it earlier. So it's like fresh in my mind. But oh, and one of the points that is a deleted scene that didn't make it to the DVD extras, but there's some stills of it of Obi-Wan actually visiting Padme twice, not just later when he asks where Anakin is and Padme refuses um, to tell him that he's on Mustafar, but it happened again earlier. Um, Padme's wearing the green dress, and in the book, Obi-Wan asked Padme if you could just talk to Anakin and like if Anakin's been okay, and they, they talk about Anakin the entire time. It's clear that both of them have concern over him, but don't really know what to do about it. One person thinks the other can help, and the other person thinks he the other one can help, you know, and there's a, a little bit of a communication breach, despite the fact that they're both there to talk about Anakin. And later when Anakin, it's in the it's in the film, actually, uh, when Anakin is sitting on the couch, like looking at his like Nintendo Switch or whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, oh, Obi-Wan's been here. And that's when Anakin kind of gets stormy and a little bit like, Ugh, why were you talking to Obi-Wan? Like, you didn't even tell me. And Padme's like, he came by this morning, you know, and Padme says, you know, he's he's worried about you. There's a lack of trust there. Anakin doesn't really know what to do with that information because he's not really speaking to Obi-Wan about his own struggles. And somehow Padme is speaking. He's I think his brain immediately launches into Padme is speaking to Obi-Wan about my struggles and I'm not even speaking to him about my own. And yeah. what the heck is happening in this triangle? Um, <laughs> and that's scary. And so, yeah, there's a jealousy element there that, again, we don't talk about enough because it's it's an undercurrent of the film and not something that 
I feel like it could have been explored way more. Yeah, there's also the piece of it too that at that point in the film is when uh, Obi-Wan has given Anakin the task of spying on the Chancellor and they've had this like argument about it. And a lot of that argument is focused around trust and who trusts who and who doesn't trust who and all of that is kind of building on itself. I love examining Obi-Wan through this lens. I just want to say that (laughs) and like digging into this because all these different like flaws of this character is what makes him so interesting. The other piece of it is now is ultimately is Obi-Wan a good guide for Luke. And I think that Obi-Wan is a good guide for Luke in the same way that he was a good guide for Ezra. And Mm -hmm. that like kind of older teaching wisdom but as we've discussed, there's like a big red flag <laughs> with <laughs> concealing who Vader actually is. And I mm-hmm. think that this, what I hope through the Kenobi series is that there is a journey to kind of what I would say is Obi-Wan kind of having to separate Anakin and Vader for himself to the point where he views them as completely separate people in order to kind of live with what happened. You know, I think that there's a possibility that the show, I think the show should do that, honestly. (laughs) But I think that that's like how you get to that point of, of like uh, kind of justifying the lies that Obi-Wan and Yoda tell Luke throughout the original trilogy. It's like, I don't want Obi-Wan to conceal that truth from Luke. I don't want it, but he still does it, you know? And it's such like a weird thing to think about that happening at the end of his life when you kind of expect him to come to some like greater realization, like to reach the summit of the mountain. But like that's similar to what we see with Luke in The Last Jedi of like he he didn't end up this like perfect Jedi in the end because he's not a perfect human. And he ended up becoming a hermit himself and mm-hmm. hiding on Octo, right? And yeah, and not a hundred percent stepping up to being a guide, also. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's like that's the weird difference between Luke and Obi Wan in these like older years of their life. Is Obi Wan is totally ready to be the guide. He's totally ready to step into that role of master again. It's one that he knows really well and he's good Mm -hmm. at it to a certain extent, right? Like he's really good at it and he's ready to teach Luke about the force, to show him the lightsaber, uh, tell like encourage him with the Death Star, tell him how to go find Yoda. Like he's ready to do all of those things, but to actually do the thing that would probably matter the most for Luke means that Obi-Wan has to recontextualize and reconfront probably a lot of demons that he put away a long time ago uh, in regards to Anakin and his fall to the dark side. And I think I think in a way, like it adds that tragedy of Obi-Wan of like even then, even after all those years, he still couldn't really do it. Like he still couldn't mm-hmm. really own up to it it's not even like an own up as in like it was Obi-Wan's fault because it totally wasn't but just like talk about it with someone like that's the thing does Obi-Wan ever get to talk to someone about what he went through and Mm -hmm. like the regret that he feels I mean I hope we see that (laughs) I know but part of me thinks that because of his um approach to it to the whole topic and empire maybe he doesn't 
Mm-hmm. Like maybe that's – or if we're going with my theory for Kenobi and that Hayden Christensen's role is just to exist as a hallucination, mm-hmm. <laughs> that that's the only person that Obi-Wan has talked to is this hallucination of Anakin. <laughs> and so that's crazy. certainly – right? I'm mm, can you, oh, So wow. attached to it, but I think you got, you got to detach. <laughs> I, can't, I can't let it go. I cannot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once we see a trailer or something about like the actual tone of this show, but I just – the hallucination – it fits so well to lead into crazy old Ben. <laughs> like it just anyway. Yeah, like has and has Obi-Wan ever been able to really talk about what happened to him and the role that he feels he played in it and how that's probably not true. Like he's probably putting so much burden on himself that isn't necessary because for as much as we can talk about like, you know, there's a reason that Anakin didn't go to Obi-Wan about Padme. Like, yeah, that's true. But, you know, Anakin makes his own choices and he chooses not to go to Obi-Wan because the reality is, is that if Obi-Wan was faced with Anakin and Padme, maybe he wouldn't make the best choice initially, but Obi-Wan would always try to make sure that Anakin was okay and that Padme was okay. And if I feel like Obi-Wan, if he had known he would have dealt with the vision aspect of it first and making sure that like Padme wasn't actually in danger. And then like, then he would probably be like, all right, so let's like really talk about the marriage. Um, (laughs) Is that the best idea? How do we unknow these types of things? Or like, I got your bus going for the last 20. (laughs) I already put in the commission for it. Um, You know? So I I think it's interesting. Um, And yeah, that, like, I, I do think that there are parts of Obi-Wan that serve as a really good guide for Luke. He, I mean, obviously, right? Like, he brought Luke into the world of the Force. He, he gave him the call to adventure. Um, he is someone that Luke trusts inherently and kind of immediately. And even when Luke finds out that that trust was kind of broken, he still... Like, he still has a lot of faith in Obi-Wan, which... Well, that's Luke. That's Luke through and through, is the forgiveness of it all. Exactly. And that's ultimately, like, that's what Obi-Wan needed, and that's also what Anakin needed, too. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's Luke, and that's why Luke is the chosen one. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And we're talking about debates. The unfortunate thing about the the term chosen one is that there can only be one. So, (laughs) so many things can be true. Anyway. I think another thing just to mention is we keep talking and using the word burden. I just want to say that perhaps the burden of being a good guide for any of these characters shouldn't only be on Obi-Wan. Like, I feel like that's unfair to even say that about like, is was Obi-Wan the best mentor that Luke deserved? You know, it, the truth is, is that Luke deserved a couple of mentors because when you're in the Jedi Temple, you have many people around you, but Luke didn't get that. And that's why Yoda kind of filled that void too. And of course, that goes back to the fact that George killed off (laughs) Obi-Wan and Yoda had to replace the, you know, the archetype of the trainer and how does, how is he different? You know, (laughs) how is he different from Obi-Wan? And the truth is, is that maybe Luke and maybe everybody needs multiple guides and maybe Obi-Wan shouldn't be seen as like the person that needs to be perfect, you know, Um, because that's not fair to instill on anybody, even a character, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. Another thing to bring up is the idea from the tarot card of does Obi-Wan guide people to safety? And I wanted to bring up two things. First, I think 
Obi-Wan does guide Luke to safety, there's this great, you know, I should just read it from Revenge of the Sith of the ending when um, Yoda and Bale are talking about where the twins are going to go. I just think it's a, this is really charming. Um, Yoda says, but Tatooine, not like Alderaan it is, deep in the out- outer rim, a wild and dangerous planet. Obi-Wan says, Anakin survived it. Luke can too. And I can. Well, I could take him there, watch over him, protect him from the worst of the planet's dangers until he can learn to protect himself. Like a father, you wish to be young Obi-Wan? More an eccentric old uncle, I think. As part, of, It is a part I can play very well. To keep watch over Anakin's son, Obi-Wan sighed, finally, allow, finally allowing his face to register a suggestion of his old gentle smile. I can't imagine a better way to spend the rest of my life. Um, I just think it's really sweet. (laughs) And I think it's a, it's a little like, oh my God, you know, we, we talk about in the fan community, it's like Leia will go live as a princess and Luke will go on the dangerous planet. (laughs) (laughs) But I think the concept of like Obi-Wan being like, no, I'll protect him. Yeah. This is going to be my duty. I think there's a real sweetness there. And I think Matthew Stover really wrote it really well here about I'll protect him from the worst of the planet's dangers until he can learn to protect himself. And that's exactly what happens. But one thing I wanted to add, like talk about was there's a part in Empire Strikes Back where Obi-Wan cuts himself off from being the spiritual guide for Luke. And it's the latter half of Empire Strikes Back when Luke goes against the wishes of both Obi-Wan and Yoda to, quote, save his friends. Very reminiscent of what happens in Attack the Clones and Revenge of the Sith with his father. And I was wondering what you thought about that and that in in the parameters that we discuss what it is to be a guide, like, was that cruel or was that part of the role of being a guide? I think this is part of Obi-Wan's flaw uh, because he, I think this is like, Obi-Wan can't confront Vader again himself. Not truly. Like, now all the cards are on the table, right? Like, before in A New Hope, like, obviously, Luke knows or uh, Obi-Wan knows who Vader is and Vader knows who Obi-Wan is. But uh, Vader doesn't know who Luke is and Luke doesn't know who Vader is. Like, at that point, Obi-Wan held all the cards. And so it made sense to do what he was doing, I think. (laughs) But now, like, that moment in Empire Strikes Back... Like, he knows all the cards are about to be on the table, and I don't think he wants to deal with it either at that point. I think it's a pretty good diagnosis to say that this was a flaw. Um, However, I do think it's a character-building moment for Luke. Like, it obviously needed to happen in his character journey. He needed to fail, and that, again, kind of goes back to the whole concept of the burden of masters that Luke talks about, that Yoda talks about to Luke in the last Jedi, you know, some of the most beautiful star Wars words ever written, the, uh, we are what they grow beyond. And so much of that is if Luke, Luke makes mistakes, like that's on his own accord. Like he's not fully responsible. Like Obi-Wan isn't fully responsible for Luke's own choices and shouldn't always be, even if he's a floating presence in the forest that can follow him wherever he goes, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I know that was like a lot, but like, it's true. Even if he's a ghost, I'm gonna follow him around wherever he goes because he's a ghost in the forest. Yeah, I mean, you know what I mean? (laughs) No, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's the other piece of this, too, right? Is that Empire is like Luke's story, especially in regards to Yoda and Obi Wan. And I think it's a perfect example of Luke growing beyond. Obi-Wan and Yoda in that moment because even though Luke doesn't know yet what's about to happen 
and what is about to be revealed to him. Um, this like compassionate choice that Luke makes for Leia and Han is part of what's going to help him make the compassionate choice for Vader too. And it's something that Obi-Wan and Yoda couldn't do. And I've talked about this before and I, I always think it's like important when talking about all these characters and their like relationships to Vader. And I think it's, I kind of use it in part of my argument for why Luke is the chosen one, but also just like the greater conversation of like why it has to be Luke. And like, in some ways, we talk about Luke having this, like, great compassion for his father and, like, how admirable that is, and it is. But to be fair, it's, like, kind of harsh to say that, well, Obi-Wan and Yoda should have been compassionate like that, too. And um, Ahsoka could have should have been compassionate like that, too, when she meets him in Rebels, like, all of these things. But Luke has lived with this, like, idolized image of who his father is for his entire life. And he still like clings to that even when he finds out the truth. And so in a lot of ways, it was it's harder for characters like Obi-Wan and Ahsoka to have that same compassion because like they knew Anakin personally, like it's completely different. Like they knew all of who he was and watched him fall and were confronted with it in a way that Luke just never was because like Vader knew how to taunt Ahsoka. Vader knew how to taunt Obi-Wan, like, in A New Hope. And there's it's not that same dynamic between Luke and Vader, um, just because he never, like, they never met, really, when Luke was growing up. You know what I mean? So I, I feel like sometimes we talk about, like, Luke being able to extend this great compassion towards Vader and uh, kind of wonder why other characters couldn't do the same. But I think it's, like, a much more traumatic situation for them to do it. And the emotions are like harder for characters like Obi-Wan and Ahsoka. So even like in this whole conversation, while we've kind of um, been disappointed and have found it difficult to reconcile, like Obi-Wan still concealing who Vader is, it's like that is part of like a protection mechanism, I think that Obi-Wan does for himself and everything that he's had to go through with Anakin. And I don't know. I just, I don't, like I don't... I guess it's hard to say, like, I don't completely fault Obi-Wan for his choices in Empire to not tell the truth. Like, it's still hard, but I think on some level I can understand it. And I do hope, like, that's part of what we see in Kenobi, too. Yeah, me too. And I think even through our conversation about how Obi-Wan himself can't fully um, confront his own emotions, like he doesn't want to look at the hologram, like he doesn't want to see things, he doesn't want to talk about his relationship with Satine, all these things, like... Perhaps it's him also experiencing that with Luke and sort of transposing that sort of emotion on that relationship when Luke is not like that at all. Luke is a compassionate person, someone filled with emotion, someone who wants to talk about things like from the get go. And um, yeah, I just they're very different people, you know, so. Yeah. And that's part of also being a mentor is like recognizing that pe different people have different attributes and how to best mentor them and things like that, you know? I think if we haven't left anything out, we should move into part three because I feel like I agree. touched on a lot of our part three topics too. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Another happy landing. Okay. Welcome to part three where we're talking about Obi-Wan as introspective. And I feel like uh, we've kind of talked a lot about the ways that perhaps Obi-Wan isn't very introspective when it comes to his own personal relationships. But 
are there ways that Obi-Wan does embody an introspective character? Yes, I think so. Number one, we've talked about this already, but Obi-Wan learns about the cosmic force through Qui-Gon, presumably. We still haven't really fully seen that, but I think we know it's true because of the way that Obi-Wan's sacrifice happens in A New Hope and he disappears and Vader's confused, right? Um, So I think this is like very clear that this is him being introspective and sort of understanding his own relationship to the living force and the cosmic force. Um, I think that there's introspection that comes from his forced exile. I think that there's almost a breakthrough of introspection in Attack of the Clones, but we don't actually fully get it because I think Obi-Wan in Attack of the Clones is set on this sort of neo-noir mystery to find out who is behind, number one, the murder of Padme, but also the creation of the clone army. And it's almost like purposely confusing about what his journey is because he really, it changes like a lot of uh, the, the trajectory and the goalposts like of that journey change a lot, right? And we learn a lot of things that we didn't know originally and those things have a bigger impact on the star wars story as a whole than like just who was trying to kill padme and in a lot of ways i think about this journey that obi-wan is on um in attack of the clones it's solitary number one and also i feel like it's very similar to like a labyrinthian journey um the center of the maze almost when he gets to the center of the maze there's like actually no way out instead of except for war, right? And I think that there's a moment there for introspection, especially when he's on Camino and he's talking about Saifa Diaz and he's so confused and he's like, what's happening here? This is a plot bigger than all of us. I don't understand how this is going, but it sort of ends there, you know? (laughs) And there's no room for understanding what that entire journey is on because we as the audience know that it's much bigger than him and this is going to be something that they're working towards for the next three years uh, and and longer, honestly, as they realize that Palpatine was behind everything. Again, there's almost a, a, a moment of introspection there and it's almost like he's given all the tools for that, but because the plot is even bigger than him, it's almost undiscoverable to him. So I would say that in the prequels, there's some measure of attempt at looking within, of meditating, of finding your inner peace. But that inner peace is truly out of reach because of the machinations that Palpatine is controlling and puppeting the entire way that politics and the galaxy and the war is unfolding. As they say, the dark side cloud, the dark side clouds everything. It does. It really does. And so I think that there's no room for his introspection, right? I think that he tries. I think all the Jedi try. They try to meditate. They try to be in tune with like the Jedi temple and how beautiful it is and all these things. But at the end of the day, they're forced into war and they're, they get drawn into things that just are not their original purpose and instead draw them into darkness. Yeah, like it's impossible to see the bigger picture. Like the Jedi, the entire Clone Wars is a labyrinth um, and none of them can kind of find their way out. And so to expect any of them to do that on a truly individual scale is like a very tall order, I think, (laughs) for for any of them. And It's almost like, you know who who does find their way out in a way? Ahsoka. Yeah. And she's forced out though, but then she makes a choice. I still think that she 
has a long way to go to fully uncover the plot of what she was involved in. I think overall, I'd say that Obi-Wan is someone who wishes to be introspective and to look at his his actions and who he is through the ways of the Jedi teachings and by meditation. This is like very high level speculation. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. But I think that perhaps Obi-Wan doesn't might not even think that it's worth it to have individual introspection when like his life is dedicated to the Jedi. Like it's about the need, like the introspection, the meditation should be about the fate of the galaxy, the fate of the war, like all of that kind of bigger picture, not so much himself. And I think that some ways he tries to have some of that self introspection, but like it, you're he's easily lost in it because I think everyone is and you just you think about the like Obi-Wan's life as far as we know and honestly there's a, a lot of the details that I can't remember from Master and Apprentice but starting from the Phantom Menace right he loses his master in this like horribly tragic event and then has to train this kid that he wasn't even sure he wanted to train and then you segue into Revenge of the Sith or into Attack of the Clones and it's the entirety of the Clone Wars that he's dealing with and then after that you know complete devastation like when would when would he have had time to do like deep meditation just for himself and about himself too when there's so much else going on not to mention that like he was the one who discovered the clone army too so there's like that kind of i don't know like responsibility i suppose or like he kind of discovered all of it like he kind of set the ball rolling in some ways um i just i think it's very interesting and he like in his the episodes with satine in the beginning of the clone wars um satine like kind of throws all this back at him right she's like i remember when the jedi were just like warriors for peace or like uh we're here for peace and obi-wan says something like um we are we're we're warriors for peace and she goes that's that's such a contradiction. <laughs> she goes, do you even hear yourself talking? <laughs> like, um, and I, She's just like yelling things at him for three episodes. It's kind of great. So good. Um, <laughs> but she's the one who like sees – she doesn't see the bigger picture, but uh, in, this, in the sense of like Palpatine, obviously. But she sees like the horrible irony in what the Jedi are doing and their involvement in all of this. And I think this is something we've been talking about in our High Republic series, too, about how the Jedi keep saying that they are not warriors and that they don't uh, work for any government or anything, that they are keepers of the peace. But literally, all we see the Jedi doing are being warriors. (laughs) And it's like, do they realize this themselves? And that would be part of that, like, introspection for the Jedi as a whole and also on an individual level for someone like Obi-Wan, too. So true. I just don't think that the story doesn't allow for that, you know? Like, that's part of the tragedy. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things is that when we think of the word hermit, and I think this is sort of adjacent to the topic of introspection, is the fact that hermit is sometimes synonymous with like loner or being alone or being separate. And I think this is a good segue into bringing back to what we talked about before with Satine and Obi-Wan and how we can compare that relationship with that of Anakin and Padme, who Anakin and Padme, they did not say no to their emotions. They got married, they're living in secret, and they're married okay and Satine and Obi-Wan clearly 
it's very clear that Satine chose to not pursue the relationship with Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan is the one who says, if you wanted to, I would have left the order had you, you said the word. Do you think he would have, though? I don't know. You just have to take it, take his word for it because if that's true, then you can totally compare the relationships between Anakin and Padme, though, because one of the – again, one of the great things about Padme's character and one of my favorite things about her is that, yeah, she's right about most things, but she's also super flawed, you know? And the concept of just going forth with her emotions and uh, deciding to live a life of secret and how she is very much – she very much recognizes that that will destroy them and that it does. But at the same time, they go forward with it because she doesn't want to. Uh, she says that she's been dying every day since Anakin came back into her life and she's denying the fact that she loves him. And so she doesn't let herself pull away like, say, Satine did potentially. And basically, Obi-Wan has sort of uh, separated himself, like going, going back to the word hermit from his relationship with with Satine and kind of lives separately lives alone like isn't in a relationship at all unlike Anakin is and I think it's another interesting way to like compare these two I don't know what do you think as you were talking I was kind of thinking about how Obi-Wan and Padme take similar approaches to their relationships in some ways of kind of putting that duty first um Padme finally comes to the point where she is like, you know, let's leave everything behind. Let's mm -hmm. leave the Jedi, leave the Republic, leave all of it and go. But she's not like that in the beginning. Um, yeah. She is like ready to keep it a secret, um, doesn't want to stop her career. And uh, like when Obi or when Anakin is like, I don't care who knows, Padme is the one that's like, don't say that. Don't like, mm -hmm. we can't go there quite yet. You know what I mean? And I think yeah. that, you know, while Obi-Wan and Satine never, like, went all the way <laughs> um, as far as, like, well, at least that we see of, like, being in an actual relationship of, like, canoodling behind a pillar in an eight, in a lobby. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. In the actual literal Senate with, like, cameras everywhere, I suppose. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Obi-Wan's Obi smarter than that. Well, <laughs> um, like, I, Satine takes on, like, the more emotional role, just kind of like Anakin does in Anakin and Padme's relationship. Like, she's the one that's, like, ready to just, like, yell it out. Like, I've always loved you, Obi-Wan, and, like, this whole thing. And it, it like, she had to say it first kind of thing for Obi-Wan to reciprocate it. Not reciprocate it because I think they both know that he feels that way too, but to verbalize it to her. Um, but I don't know if I think he would have left the Jedi Order. I really don't know. That's why we need the story. <laughs> the book of that we year on Mandalore. Yeah. A year on Mandalore. Love on Mandalore. No, on the run all the time. It's not just on Mandalore. It's it's a love on the run. <laughs> it's True. even better. <laughs> yeah so i think the comparison between them is is really good and i think you're right like the show wants you to make the comparison but i think it like we talked about earlier i think it also wants you to ask like why did obi-wan never tell anakin about this why is this something that he's kept to himself especially someone like satine who clearly has no problem like talking about all of her business up in the out in the open and like yelling at Obi-Wan about all the ways that he is stubborn and wrong and the Jedi are not doing what they set out to do. Like they're not fulfilling their own purpose. And like, how can he not see that? And what is it, you know, going hither and yon? 
That's the best quote ever. Like, that's so not even the whole quote. When you go she's... hither and yawn. <laughs> she's literally just walking circles around him and he's like, what? <laughs> like, what is going on? Um, the delusions of a dreamer, as you said. Yeah. So good. <laughs> I miss her. I miss her so much. We were, Charlotte and I were re-watching those episodes and I was like, do you think Hugh McGregor has watched Voyage of Temptation? Kaylin says yes. I don't know. I don't. I didn't say yes. I said I hope he's watched them. Yeah, yeah. I think it'd be interesting, especially like, could it come up? Who's to say? Who's to say? Who knows? Who's to say? Who is to say? Regardless, I do think that it's interesting the concept of Obi Wan and Satine separating and like not choosing to go down that path. That does have a sort of link to the hermit idea, where Anakin just would never embody the the hermit (laughs) at all, and that's not any like the skywalkers are just so emotional and that's and and, like they all form attachments right they care so deeply and that's not saying that obi-wan isn't but they are just so different and it's clear that one chose the the life of being alone being separate being i suppose like celibate right like the monk aspect of the jedi when the other absolutely did not so um whether it's a lesson or not, I think that's up for debate because I think my perspective is that the Jedi shouldn't have these insane rules about not loving. Um, yeah. However, I, there's many there's many pieces in George Lucas's like own mind that don't necessarily support that reading. Uh, this concept of like attachments and everything that even goes back to I'm going to bring it up again in the series. Carlos Castaneda there's like some quotes there he's, he's the about, MVP of the knowing Kenobi series yeah the 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 concept of like uh leaving attachments and following your own path and uh, seeking like the general source of energy um and you know George took that and made that into the force but a lot of that is is uh leaving those attachments and that's not something that the sky none of the skywalkers really can possibly do and nor do i think they should um but i uh, there's it's just like a confusing topic you know what i mean and yeah. i think that one that i don't know if like the text 100 percent supports um and that's just one of those great things about being a star wars fan is that that's up <laughs> for debate constantly yeah obi-wan is just so dedicated to the jedi that it's it's hard to see another path for him to even imagine mm-hmm. one for him when we see it kind of laid out too with Satine of yeah. like, I love you. We like, maybe we could have made this work kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The other thing I the other kind of comparison I wanted to bring up on the, on the topic of Hermit is actually the comparison to Maul, which I think mm-hmm. is kind of fitting here. And we haven't really talked about Maul yet so far in the series, but Obviously, Maul plays a very big part in Obi-Wan's life, although I would argue that Obi-Wan plays a bigger role in Maul's life than vice versa. (laughs) I think Obi-Wan would say the same, too. (laughs) Yeah, I think he would, too. (laughs) Charlotte and I were rewatching the Obi-Wan scenes from the uh, Siege of Mandalore arc in The Clone Wars, and... Uh, when Obi-Wan finds out that Ahsoka is going after Maul, he says, you should best capture him for real this time. I've already killed him once. Let's make sure he stays dead or something like that. <laughs> I was like, dude, harsh. <laughs> He's so over it. He's, He's so done. <laughs> Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan in the Siege of Mandalore is having a rough day. 
And who can blame them? Who can blame them? Who, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I think um, thinking about Maul and Obi-Wan as both hermits, I think was a really interesting kind of perspective that I hadn't really considered before. Because Maul actually makes this proposition to Ahsoka that he and Ahsoka are super similar, right? Like they don't have masters, their organizations have abandoned them. And like that should make them kind of on the same page. And it kind of works for Ahsoka almost, right? And things kind of go down hell. But it's also true of Maul and Kenobi too. Like they're both without masters. Um, They both no longer really have their organizations to support them. And more importantly, they both kind of have one singular purpose in their lives uh, for a good chunk of their lives too. For Maul, it's to kill Kenobi. And for Obi-Wan, it's to protect Luke. And like we said, of course, like, who knows what's going to happen in the Kenobi series, but we're working with what we got here right now, which is that Obi-Wan's sole purpose is to protect Luke. And I think this makes them both kind of hermits in a way. I think that Maul tries, like, in a lot of ways, Maul tries not to be a hermit in the fact that he's always kind of seeking a companion, which is kind of cute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with Ahsoka. In a way. <laughs> in a way. It's kind of cute. <laughs> <laughs> he, he just needs a buddy. <laughs> um, but in wanting an apprentice, right? Like Maul tries to get Ahsoka to be on his side and later Ezra. And like that's a whole journey for each of those characters. Uh, but Maul uh, like does end up alone. And even when we first meet Maul on Malachor, he's, he's got that hermit uh, persona too with the hood and the cane and the voice. And he's been down there by himself, which I think is kind of ironic too. Like if we're thinking about the tarot card of the hermit too with the imagery of the mountain. And yes. uh, Maul is at the bottom of the, the I was gonna say that mountain, right? When we see him again in Malachor. Just an interesting... Uh, kind of connection there i suppose well he's like a fake hermit he's a fake he's hermit. A fake, then. he's a fake hermit because he's he's really like sisyphus <laughs> yes and he's not um he's trying to embody a different archetype than he is actually and wants to appear as a spiritual guide a spiritual hermit a spiritual mentor mentor and it's just that's unobtainable for him that's what makes it really interesting too he's almost like a mirrored hermit and mm-hmm. i don't I, I don't think that actually exists there's the reverse <laughs> hermit uh like you can get the reverse of all tarot cards, but almost like living like Obi-Wan and Maul are kind of standing opposite each other, like with a mirror mm-hmm. in between them. And I think, yeah, he's like the like the false reality of what a hermit is, especially because Ezra's journey of thinking that Maul could be a like kind of falling into the temptation with Maul as a master and apprentice-esque relationship and falling into that trap of wanting to trust Maul or wanting to see what Maul could show him. And that journey with Maul ultimately leading him to someone like Obi-Wan, who is actually a better guide for Ezra, even though their relationship is not is very short-lived, right? Um but I, anyway, I just thought it was kind of an interesting little comparison between the two of them, especially having like this one singular purpose with their lives. And there aren't a ton of Star Wars characters that are that have kind of these overwhelming uh, purposes and goals in life. Like we see them go through a lot of different other things. But with Maul, Maul is obsessive over killing Obi-Wan and... Obi-Wan is just as protective of Luke. And we see that in their final duel on Twin Sons of Maul 
trying to figure out what exactly Obi-Wan is doing there. And it's when Maul figures it out that he's protecting something that is valuable and loved. That's when Obi-Wan is finally like, all right, I'm putting an end to this. I really like the comparison between Maul and Kenobi here in the lens of the hermit. I think in so many ways, Maul tries to embody Kenobi in order to overtake him. And he's just an imposter in a lot of the, in a lot of ways and is unable to fully take that on. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And then it proves out that Obi-Wan is the better hero. And while they're both tragic figures in Star Wars, because once again, Star Wars is tragedy, I think that one is um, sort of always going to be doomed to fail just because of his like Sisyphusian nature with uh, Maul. But then also... I think Kenobi has just a greater pur- pur- purpose and I think it was a really smart move actually to bring back Maul and have him be this uh, foil for Obi-Wan throughout the Clone Wars uh, and then into Rebels and have this sort of great samurai send off because it really enriched Darth Maul's character and I think it also provided this reminder of where Obi-Wan started and where he is towards the end. It was this like great dotting of his character development. I think it's honestly kind of another example of Obi-Wan functioning on the, again, not the periphery, but for another character's development and like Mm. story arc. And it's because you're right, like it is representative of like Maul's beginning, but Maul has always been the one who has been like that has defined Maul's storyline, right? Of seeking revenge on Obi-Wan. And we see that when he kills Satine and all the way through his like obsession in finding him and killing him. And it it's so poetic for it to have been for Maul to have been killed by Obi-Wan twice, basically, like in The Phantom Menace and then later in Twin Sons. But Maul doesn't really have that same kind of a balance in Obi-Wan's own story like Maul uh, Kenobi is the defining feature of Maul's story I would say honestly when we go through his entire arc whereas Maul is not a defining like it's not the defining piece of Obi-Wan's story if that makes sense yeah and I think honestly we're still getting at like the defining piece of Kenobi of Obi-Wan of like something that is so 100% focused on him because we've had a lot of episodes from Maul that are 100% focused on him. We've had, you know, obviously the entire Skywalker saga is 100% focused on the Skywalkers and we've had like very significant shades and moments of Obi-Wan's character development and like who he is, but it's always kind of interspersed between like mostly the Skywalkers at this point and then like Ahsoka too, to a certain degree in the Clone Wars. And so I think it's going to be really great in um, the Kenobi show to have everything kind of coming back to how it impacts Obi-Wan as a character. And I think that's going to be really great. So it'll be cool to like, honestly do probably like a follow-up episode well i mean we'll be following the kenobi show so what am i saying um (laughs) it's true though it it, it might be interesting to revisit this yeah because like i don't want to sound that like obi-wan isn't a main character because he totally is but he's functioning as a main character in the main character's lives Mm -hmm. (laughs) i guess like he's he's okay like if we're gonna use our like nesting doll metaphor um Mm. he's like this He's like the second or third nesting doll in, um, mm-hmm. depending on what on what story we're in. But in the Kenobi show, he'll be he'll be the outer nesting doll or the inner. 
I, I guess, yeah, whichever <laughs> way <laughs> we're going. Yeah. Um, but like Either the outside or the center, one of those. <laughs> I think he's the outside because then like all everything is like contained within him. Yes. Okay, you're so right. I. Uh, I'm glad we clarified this. <laughs> like super weird metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> we're really we... pulling on everything we're grasping in straws here but i think <laughs> i think you're so right though i think that probably deborah chow and her crew have a huge whiteboard about like what makes obi-wan tick and what he's dealing yeah. with and um what is his what are his pain points and what are his moments of joy and i can't wait to see those expressed yeah i think I, actually that's a really good thing that you brought up that I don't think we've talked about is that there should be moments of joy for Obi-Wan in the Kenobi series because yes, yes. he deserves it. And I can already kind of see like comments about that, like discourse, <laughs> like why is he so happy? <laughs> but And it, like I have no idea what this show – I literally have zero idea what this show is going to be. <laughs> yeah. But I, I do hope that there is like moments of, of joy and a friendship that like – Perhaps there are other people on Tatooine that he becomes friends with and mm-hmm. maybe they can't know his whole story or maybe they do. You know, I don't know. But yeah, I feel like that'll perhaps be sort of melancholic of like, yeah, he he can get he can't get too close, which is like sort of reflective of the hermit, his yeah. relationships that he has that we are aware of and past Star Wars stories. Yeah. But it's on a greater scale here. Yeah, and like, does he have does he like does he have a group that he plays like Sabak with on Tuesday nights? Oh my you know, gosh. like maybe he does. I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> kind of the last little bit, and we probably should have talked about this earlier. As far as like uh, Obi Wan as an introspective character is, and talking about that individual introspection that we touched on earlier, I do think that Obi Wan has moments of individual introspection. I know earlier I was like, does he like does he really think that the individual matters in the grand scheme mm-hmm. of the war? I I think he might say it doesn't, but I do think he still has moments of that too. And one of the things that I think shows this is one of his conversations with Ahsoka in uh, season seven. Like we said, Obi-Wan having a really bad day and Mm -hmm. Ahsoka is uh, not holding back anything when she's talking to Obi-Wan in this, in the Siege of Mandalore. Honestly, this was something that surprised me so much. (laughs) Um, me too i remember watching it for the first time being like whoa whoa (laughs) yeah yeah i was not expecting because you and i we were like what's anakin and ahsoka what are they going to talk about like here for anakin Uh and ahsoka and then it was the ahsoka and obi-wan conversations that left me shook Mm -hmm. Uh, anyway so as a reminder this is the conversation between obi-wan and ahsoka and do you want to read it with me charlotte sure Okay, I'll be Obi-Wan. All right, I get to be Ahsoka. <laughs> I knew you would want to be Ahsoka. Okay. We read these in our coverage of that series, and you were always like, I'm Ahsoka. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, so Obi-Wan goes, they're talking about Anakin, and Obi-Wan says, he's been instructed to observe the Chancellor and report his findings. Observe? You mean spy? They told him to spy on the Supreme Chancellor? Why? The Senate has allowed the Supreme Chancellor to remain in office long after his term has expired. The council wants to know what his true intentions are. The chancellor has been a great friend and mentor to Anakin. I can't imagine he's happy about this. No, he's not. So perhaps it's best that you do speak with him. And what? Defend the council's actions? I hardly think I'm the best person for that. Ahsoka, the council isn't always right. That's why I'm asking for your help. And then explosions. And Obi-Wan says, you'd best go. Tell Anakin. I will. 
anyway, it's a really good conversation. And um, <laughs> I think that I think that this conversation does show some of that introspection on Obi-Wan's part of recognizing like the many layers here, right? That Anakin is unhappy about like Obi-Wan knew that Anakin was going to be unhappy about having to spy on the Chancellor. Like he he knew that from the get-go. And he told the council he was like, are we sure that this is what we should be asking of Anakin? And he still does it because he's bound to duty. And when he is talking to Ahsoka, like he's he's kind of taking in Ahsoka's critique of the Jedi. Because in their earlier conversation, um, the episode prior is when Ahsoka like pretty much yells at Obi-Wan that he is putting the Chancellor above the people of Coruscant and the people of Mandalore, and that uh, this is the whole problem with the Jedi. Like she basically says, you right now are representing the problem with the Jedi and why people have lost faith in the Jedi. And Obi-Wan literally says, like, that's not fair. And Ahsoka says back, I'm not trying to be, which is, like, such a burn. Like, I, I just, like, I can't believe it. Like, I'm still shook to this day. Same. Same. <laughs> like, it's crazy. Um, yeah. But in this conversation, I feel like Obi-Wan is kind of, like, taking in that critique from Ahsoka because he knows that she's right. And that's what he says. He says, um, like, the council isn't always right. Oh, uh, Ahsoka and I think this is him admitting that like this wasn't the best call and that he knows that but like now he can't he can't or he won't talk to Anakin about it again and he knows that like maybe Ahsoka could like reach him or uh, make him feel better or comfort him or something like that and so he is like asking Ahsoka this I don't know like it feels like a very intimate thing for Obi-Wan and Ahsoka to be talking about or just like acknowledging Mm -hmm. kind of how much the Chancellor means to Anakin and like what Anakin's emotions are about this like they both understand why Anakin would be upset to do something like this Obi-Wan is kind of appealing to Ahsoka's relationship with Anakin to help him with the situation And I don't know, I think it was a moment that kind of lends itself to Obi-Wan's own introspection about the whole situation. But Mm -hmm. the flip side of that, too, is that, like, Obi-Wan can't bring himself to go and, like, continue the conversation with Anakin himself, too. Like, he's Mm -hmm. asking Ahsoka to do it also. But the whole thing is, like, it's not fair. All of this is not fair because Obi-Wan is being pulled in a hundred different directions. And it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, do I try and, like, you know, fix this uh, fight that I've had with Anakin or, you know, uh, win the war. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. It's like, it's not fair what all of this is happening to them. It's really not. So it's like, I think you're right that this is a good moment of perhaps some sort of introspection on Obi-Wan's front. I think something interesting about this conversation is that Ahsoka is still acting like a Jedi, even though she's not a Jedi. And she has, she has this like strange relationship um, with the Jedi at this point. So it gives her a little bit of an upper edge to talk to Obi-Wan about this and sort of point out all the reasons why. If she had more time, I think she would have pointed out all the reasons why this was wrong. <laughs> but I think we get the gist yeah. of oh, that she's upset by this and that Obi-Wan is too. But Ahsoka allows herself to be like mad about it when Obi-Wan is like, I don't know what to do. I'm lost. Because you're right, like he's being pulled in a hundred thousand different directions. And yeah. to be fair, Anakin is too, and so is Ahsoka. They all are spread really, really thin. So their focus is like in a thousand different places. So you're so right that I do think this is a moment of introspection, but it just doesn't go as far as it should. Yeah. And I think that's kind of uh, the like tragedy. The it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that's kind of the thesis of like our conversation for Obi-Wan as the hermit and like, 
as guided introspection that there are all these shades where he uh, fulfills that role really well and then other areas where he doesn't fill it very well and then Mm -hmm. you have a moment like this where like he he's he's like 80 percent there and Mm -hmm. he can't fulfill the other 20 percent because of his own inability to confront those kind of emotions really because internal and external factors that are going on around him absolutely at the end of the day, though, I would say that Obi-Wan does embody the hermit, especially in A New Hope. And I think in that floundering time between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope and what we're going to find out in the Kenobi show. But I do think it goes deeper as the more we explore this character and that I do think that there's more emotion behind. He's not running away. He's not hiding because he's ashamed. He's forced into hiding because of everything that has been enforced on him and the Jedi as a whole. And um, there's a great deal of love that goes into him becoming a hermit for Luke too, that uh, I don't know. I think that is someone who we considered and have talked about a lot as like sort of emotionally stunted or like not really able to confront huge things. There is a great deal of um, compassion that goes into his role as a hermit on Tatooine. Yeah, I think that that passage that you read a little bit ago about Obi-Wan says, I can't imagine a better way to spend the rest of my life. But I think we've talked a lot in this episode and the series so far about like Obi-Wan's flaws because we do kind of see him as the perfect Jedi. And I think part of like the deep dive into his character is kind of talking about those flaws and everything like that. But at the end of the day, like – Obi-Wan is still like he's still a hero like despite all of those flaws and more than a hero like he he is a good friend he is a good brother like he is he is all of these good things despite his flaws and like that's the tragedy of it like if he had been born in a different time like who knows what his relationship to Anakin would have been like who knows what any of it would have been like you know and I think that quote that we read last episode from uh Revenge of the Sith novelization about like it wasn't it was Obi-Wan against Anakin personally and all the damage they had done to each other like that just kind of sums up all of the tragedy about them like there is this great love between them there's this great love from Obi-Wan to Anakin despite not knowing always the best way to communicate with him or or whatever it is right like fill in the blank but the foundation of it is like this genuine love and admiration for the people around him and his belief in the Jedi too, I think is like such an admirable quality about him. Like I want to believe in the Jedi that he believes in. Mm -hmm. And I think he does too. And he strives for it and fights for it and still considers himself a Jedi, even when there aren't any other Jedi. And yeah, I think that that is part of what makes him a great character. Totally. Couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, is there anything else we wanted to discuss? Not in this episode. I'm looking forward to our last part of the Knowing Kenobi series next time. Yeah. I think our next episode, the card that we picked is really going to be like a good summation of these past two episodes. Mm -hmm. And I hope that you all have been enjoying the art by Kara DJ, the episode artwork that she's created. Yes. And this one is so good. 
Oh my God. I love this one. I love them all, to be honest. I love them all. But (laughs) this one really evokes like the earthy tone, the, um, I think that the image that she chose for Obi-Wan is like absolutely perfect for, for Obi-Wan. I think that we talk about the peak of the mountain and here we have like elements of like the mountain and the climbing. I feel like there's a sense of moving upward, um, with this one that I think is interesting. At least that's like my interpretation of the artwork. It's everyone else's own interpretation. (laughs) Please let us know if you guys are enjoying both the episodes and the artwork because uh, we are. So (laughs) I hope you guys are too. All right. I think that's going to wrap up this episode, episode two of Knowing Kenobi, The Hermit. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. Please do let us know what you are thinking about the series, uh, other things you want us to talk about. We would love to hear it. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Pod or our personal handles. Charlotte's is at Crarity and mine is at Caitlin Plusher. We also have our website, skytalkers.com, our Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Uh, just search Skytalkers. You'll find us wherever you would like to find us. <laughs> and if you haven't left us a review yet on iTunes, we would really appreciate it if you took a second to go and do that. It helps other people find our show. And if you're interested in other ways to support us, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our reward tiers there. And I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons. The Morning's Hush, Blessed Cheesemaker, Danny, Lumpararoo, Patrick, Hammy, Z, Neil, Savannah, Jennifer, Tom, Edith, Molly, Kels, Alaya, Sarah, Adam, Travis, Becca, Daniela, and Alyssa. Thank you so much for supporting us. Your support means the world. Yes. Thank you guys so much. And as always, until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you.